Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Good morning. I'm Ron Young. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm uh, one of the ruling elders here at Jacob's Well, and uh, from time to time, uh, things happen, such as Dan working on his journey evangelism, and they need someone to preach, and it's always feel a, a, just a great honor to be able to do so. So before I start, a little confession. From time to time, I uh, drive a little fast. And um, over the last few years, some uh, couple marvelous things have happened, and uh, both happened almost the exact same way. One was coming from the north back to town, the other was coming from the Was or from uh, uh, Stevens Point area. I've got it on cruise control and uh, talking with my wife, Wendy, and in our blissful conversation, I neglected to see the speed limit uh, decline <coughs> rather rapidly. And then I see these great blue lights behind me. We pull over. They come, ask me how fast I'm going. I know how fast I'm going because I have it on cruise control. You know, it's kind of a little past the speed limit. And, uh, and what I don't know is that it went down like 10 or 20 miles per hour before I got pulled over. And uh, they take my registration and my insurance and my driver's license or whatever, and they head over to their car. And they come back, and this is how it went down both times. So I notice you have USAA uh, insurance, and I saw the West Point uh, plate holder. Uh, are you a military family? Well, and then we talk about uh, Wendy's dad being in the Air Force, uncles in the Army. My dad was in the Army. And then it gets down to my son. Well, yeah, Jake, my son Jake, he went to West Point. He's stationed at Fort Campbell. And they go, oh, will you thank him for his service? I'm just going to give you a warning. <laughs> so nice. They, I remind, I do tell my son thank you for your service because that has saved me a lot of money. <laughs> so this is, this is complete mercy, right? I, I was in the wrong. I legitimately was caught. I, I was guilty, and uh, he didn't have to do that, they, both times, these two police officers. Um, but they gave me mercy, um, not, and not because of me. It's on the count of, my guess is my son, they gave me mercy. The other day I went to, uh, Jonathan Whitley was in town. He and I, Ted Keeman, went out to lunch. I dutifully parked, I put my money in the, in the meter, and we go to lunch, and all of a sudden, we realize, oh no, look how, with the time, I got to get back, and sure enough, there's a, there's a parking ticket. So I, I'm mad. This is like $22. So like, I, I wasn't trying to get away with anything. I put money 
in. I didn't know I was going to be there that long, and I would love to have put an extra quarter in or something if I would have known, but now I have to pay $22. I call the parking office and, and to talk to them about it, and um, they said, well, if you'd like to contest it, you can do that, um, but if you lose, it's, it's double the fine. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I'm guilty. Like, I literally was there past my time. I'm looking for mercy. Like, can I just pay like an extra buck? I mean, really, I had paid. It just expired. And I, and I just want to say there's no mercy at all in, uh, in the parking in Green Bay. But today we're, we're going to talk about the, the story of uh, Bartimaeus, uh, the blind man, uh, who cries out for mercy um, to, to Jesus. So what, what we want to do today is uh, talk a little bit about the mercy of God and why that's so important um, for us to hear today. Um, so let's, let's begin with the, the passage and then we'll pray. The passage is from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho... And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Grant us sight to know you, to believe and trust you, and to walk humbly on the path you have called us to walk. We pray this in your name. Amen. So before I begin on the the kind of the lesson part, I want to put this into context. Uh, I think I, I talk about my intro as the other blind man. If you recall, in the Gospel of Mark, the very beginning, uh, first half of the book, really is about Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God, and the big question that everyone is asking is, who is this guy? Right? Who is he? Who is Jesus? And he's casting out demons, and the demons know who he is. He's the, the Holy One of God. Uh, he's, he's healing uh, crippled people. He's healing um, blind people. He's healing all these people, and he's teaching with authority. Everyone wants to know, who is he? He even stills the waves and calms the, the wind. And his disciples are like, who is this guy? And so... The, there's this transition that happens, and it's like these twin peaks where Peter confesses finally uh, who he is. He says, you are Christ. And then, shortly thereafter, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to the Mount of Trans 
transfiguration and shows himself who he really is. But there's this interesting thing that happens right before the, the, uh, Peter's confession of Christ, and that is uh, there's a blind man, and Jesus uh, partly heals him, right? Do you remember that? He's, he can kind of see, but people look like they're walking around like trees. And so Jesus does a second act in which he can fi- finally see clearly. And what we understand is that in the story, um, Jesus has made it... Um, his disciples are able to confess, they can kind of see that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. The problem is, is they don't fully understand what that's going to mean, right? Because from then on, Jesus begins to teach the next part of the Gospel of Mark, and that is that Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die. Peter, if you remember, uh, says, that'll never happen, you know, and, and Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan. Peter and his disciples at that time could see, but not clearly. But now Jesus is here at this other juncture of the, of the story. The very next story, after Bartimaeus, is that Jesus is going to set himself up on this donkey and ride into Jerusalem. So publicly declaring and showing that he is the Messiah. He is the king that is to come. And then at the end of the week, he is crucified on the cross. So here we have this story of another blind man, but this blind man is able to see. And, and just to kind of put this into fun context, you, you have this part in which Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Did that sound familiar? Yes, it sounded like last week's sermon, right? Last week's sermon, his disciples, still kind of not quite seeing all the way, they ask him for something, and Jesus says, what do you want me for me to do? He says, make us the greatest. I want to sit on your left and your right. And, and Jesus had to explain, like, you don't understand the cup I'm going to have to drink. Can you drink that? Can you? And they said, oh, yeah, you know, we can do that. Um, and, and it was true. God is going to enable them to be able to do that, but they don't quite understand. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem to die, and the reason he is doing it is because of the mercy of God. This gets to our first point. The mercy of God sets Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. Okay? Now, let's talk a little bit about Jericho. So he's going into Jericho. Let's look at those first verses 46 and 47. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So the Jericho of Jesus' day was the second most important city in Judea in the southern part of of what we call Israel. And it it became the second most important thing because Herod the Great, he was the king of Israel when Jesus was born. Herod the Great had made his winter palace in Jericho. Um, If you you see a map or if you've been to Israel, you know that Jerusalem is up on a, uh, kind of in the mountains or the hills. And the Mediterranean is to the west, and when the, 
When, when winds and seas or storms come, they come off of uh, the Mediterranean, and as they get higher and higher, it dumps all their moisture. And then on the other side, where Jericho lies and the Dead Sea lies, it's quite dry and warm. In Jericho, there are these springs that are there, and so Jericho's always been an oasis kind of town. In the winter, it gets cooler in Jerusalem, and it's still kind of a wet, damp place. And if you've ever lived in a place where it gets cold, but not super cold like Green Bay, um, it, it could, that moisture in the air is just a, a, a pain. So what Herod did was he made, a, a, his, he made a summer palace in Jericho. So when the winter comes, he can go down there in the nice dry place and enjoy himself in the springs. It's, it, it reminds me a lot of Palm Springs in California. Now, they, it doesn't get cold in Los Angeles, but it is smoggy. And uh, if you want to go to a warm place and enjoy yourself, you go out into the desert and enjoy the springs out in Palm Springs. It's where all the rich and famous people go. In the same way, that's Jericho. A lot of the wealthy people would have homes there. Uh, you have uh, uh, the king's winter palaces there. Uh, important people would live in Jericho. And this is why beggars would come. Right? Why, is, why is Bartimaeus there? Well, he's on the roadside to go in and out of the city. There, there are always beggars because the people with means to give you alms would be there. So Bartimaeus is there in one of the second most important city in, in uh, Judea, and he's, he's begging. The other thing to realize is that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, but he chose his route very specifically. He was already in Judea and could have made a direct route to, to Jerusalem. Instead, he chose to go out to the other side of the Jordan River, and then come across the Jordan River into uh, Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And he does this intentionally, and I, I might blow some of you away because I was, uh, a lot, I was an adult before I realized this, but Jesus' name in Hebrew is uh, Yeshua. How many of you have heard that? Yeshua? That's how you pronounce his name in Hebrew? Now, if I were to take Yeshua and then translate it into Greek and Roman, then into English, his name is Jesus. But if I were to go directly from Hebrew Yeshua into English, we would say Joshua. How many of you knew that? A lot of you. Great. Well, no, a lot of you don't know that. Yeah, so Jesus and Joshua are the same name. Why, why is this important? Well, both of them... Both of them have to do with God saving. And Joshua was the one after Moses who came in to conquer the land of Canaan, to make it the kingdom of Israel. And the way he went was he crossed the Jordan River and went to Jericho. It was the first in the line of attack. And if you remember the walls of Jericho, they'd march around and blow the trumpets and eventually it fell down. So here's Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus. He crosses the Jordan River and he's on his way to conquer. And he goes through Jericho. He goes through Jericho. Why is he doing this? What is he conquering? If you recall, the disciples and many of the people in Jesus' day believed that the Messiah was going to come and conquer the Romans. That the idea was that 
God was going to send the Messiah to deliver his people from the Roman oppression, and they would, be the, they would set up this earthly kingdom that would make them greater than all the other nations. But what Jesus has been teaching and preaching about is that his conquering is much greater than that. In fact, if you were to look throughout the Gospel of Matthew, which I think makes it even better, is we understand that the contrast is, is that, the, that the Jews are looking at the Romans as their enemies, and Jesus is trying to get them to look at the Romans as the object of their evangelism. The Romans are going to be included into the kingdom of God. That's why you need to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's the Romans. Jesus is going to do this by dying on the cross in Jerusalem. The mercy of God, the mercy of God is compelling Jesus to go through Jericho to Jerusalem in order to die so that we might not be punished for our sins. So the condemnation, the just condemnation that we deserve because of our sin won't take place. That we have through Jesus and in him his mercy given to us so we won't be, won't, we won't die. We won't be committed to hell. We can be delivered from sin and from death and, the, and Satan. The mercy of God has set Jesus to Jericho. Bartimaeus rightly points out that this man walking, Jesus of Nazareth, is the son of David. In the Gospel of Mark, this is, these two references to Jesus as the son of David is the only time. In the other Gospels, it's those times and perhaps one or two others, when, usually when Jesus is talking. But this is an amazing proclamation and, and that is that the son of David is a messianic title. David was the king of Israel that God made a covenant with him, saying to him from uh, 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 14, he says, God says to David, he says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up, for your, up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I'll establish his, king, his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And a couple lines later he says, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. By this time, those who have claimed kingship over Israel do not belong to the line of David. They're not even really Jews. They were Edomites or um, from, from the line of Esau. So Jesus, as we see in the genealogies, is descended from the line of David. This is the person who's going to establish the throne forever. And Bartimaeus, the blind man, recognizes that that's who Jesus is and calls out to him for mercy You'll note some people are telling tell them to be quiet. We'll talk about this in a little bit. But, but one of the things you need to understand is, is that um, it would be a dangerous thing to claim that that is the legitimate uh, person to the throne in the place where the king has a palace. Does that make sense? 
So, so part of the shutting him down might be because he's a beggar. We'll talk about that in a sec. But there's also possible political scandal here. That's the son of David. That's the legitimate king. And people are pretty anxious to shut him down. So, the mercy of God sets Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. He's coming there to die for us and for our sake. Point two. The mercy of God hears and answers the plea of man. Again, looking back at uh, 48 through 52a. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. He cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. I don't know if you remember when we first started um, teaching in Mark. Uh, part of the context of Mark, or part of the audience of Mark, it's kind of traditionally understood it was to a Gentile audience. Um, the tradition says that Mark got his information and his stories from Peter, who was uh, preaching in Rome. And this is a very important book in the evangelism to the Greco-Roman world. And, and one of the things we need to understand about this is how uh, mercy was looked at uh, to the Romans and the Greek world. And that is, it, it, was, it was not looked at favorably. Uh, the Romans had a, had a, uh, a word for mercy. Uh, we get the word clemency from it. But we, we can't mistake clemency for what we understand as mercy, especially biblical mercy. Um, for, the, for the Roman, justice was the prime organizing uh, uh, thing for this, their society. And justice meant you got what was owed to you. The Romans would not have taken too kindly to the police officers who gave me warnings. I broke the law, you should get a ticket. Right? You break the law, you get punished. Mercy was considered a sign of weakness, especially amongst the governing people in Rome who, were, who really uh, connected with the Stoic philosophy. They believed that if you were showing mercy, that is not giving the person what's owed to them, that's a defect in you because your compassion has clouded your judgment. Now, you'll, you, you might think, well, I know a little bit about my Roman history. Like, uh, you know, didn't they give out free stuff a lot of times? Didn't they, like even Pilate, Pontius Pilate, he, he lets um, Barabbas go. Isn't that a sign of mercy? Yes, however, the purpose of that was for political expediency. And that was allowable. So often when mercy is shown, it was always around an election. Or if it was to satisfy, in Pontius Pilate's case, a crowd that might go into some sort of violence. For them, mercy is a sign of weakness and it's not good. If you're in a position where you're begging for food, it's your fault and you deserve what's coming to you. Does that, that make sense? You're, 
If you're in that position, it's because you have put yourself in that position and you deserve whatever is coming to you. The Jews were uh, a little bit different, um, but not that far off. For, For the Jews, they understood that God was merciful. Right? Over and over again, the Old Testament talks about the mercy of God. In their story, God has shown mercy many, many times. And they're commanded to do things like to to have compassion and to give to the poor, to give alms to the poor. Except what's happened over time is especially in the Second Temple uh, time, Jesus' day, it seems like what was more important is to give alms in order for other people to see that I'm a good person which is kind of like what the Romans were doing. In other words, their compassion isn't for the person who's begging. The, the, the idea of me giving them money is so that people can see that I am a righteous man. And that's not very good. Mercy was not, a big, mercy was not something that the ancient world really comprehended or even liked. And here is... Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Why is it important that he, Mark says that, like Bartimaeus simply means son of Timaeus. But then he repeats himself, the son of Timaeus. Timaeus means honorable. So, and it's a Greek name. Most likely, Bartimaeus was a Jewish convert. And that his family, known by his father, was of some sort of honorable person. And here he is begging on the roadside. How the honorable have fallen. Most likely, people in that day, both Jews and Gentiles alike, would assume Bartimaeus is there because of something he did. And he deserves it. And he's there begging. And Bartimaeus hears that Jesus of Nazareth is coming and he calls out, Son of David, have mercy on me. So why would he do this? Well, a couple things. I I think that one is when you're desperate, you call out. When you're desperate, you call out. Bartimaeus is in a desperate position. Who can make a blind person see again? In in their world, no one. It takes an act of God. And Bartimaeus recognized Jesus as the Messiah, as the son of David, and calls out to him. Perhaps he remembers, you know, at the Feast of Dedication a year or two ago, Jesus healed a blind man. Do you remember that story? It's, It's recorded in the Gospel of John. Jesus stands up at the last day of the temple, when the, when the, or last day of the feast, when the menorah that had been lit for eight days in a row, and, and the whole night is lit up by this menorah, they snuff it out. And Jesus calls out and says that he is the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of light. Perhaps Bartimaeus has heard the story. Perhaps Bartimaeus understands or believes that Jesus would be willing to heal him if he would only have mercy 
So he calls out to him, have mercy on me, and people are shouting him down. I mentioned one of the possible reasons might simply be because that is a, that is a, ooh, that's, that's, uh, that's insurrection talk. That's insurrection talk. You got to quiet it down. We all think he might be. We're looking at him, but for you to call that out here, that's not an appropriate place. Maybe talk about it when you're out in the desert. Don't talk about it here. The other might simply be because they don't think of someone who's blind, a blind beggar is worthy of talking to an important guest. Remember, this is Jericho. The rich and the famous are used to coming down that road from, Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho and from Jericho to Jerusalem. And there's probably a particular way in which they're allowed to beg and ask for alms. But to cry out, Lord, you know, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, must have been an unusual thing, and they're trying to get him to shut up. You're not worthy. Why would you bother him? Imagine if he is the son of David, what would he want with the likes of you? I don't know if you've ever been there. Where you, in your life, things are not going well. Where you have felt desperate because things are not in your control. And, especially, those times when you know it is your fault. I'm in this mess because of what I've done. I am in this mess because of my sin. And I can't get myself out. And you want to call up for mercy, you want to do something. But you have the voices that shout you down. The voices that tell you you're not worthy. The voices that tell you you should give up. The voices that tell you you just got to take your lumps because you deserve it. I don't think I'm alone in that. I think we've all experienced, I think that's a human common experience of hearing those voices and us resisting asking to calling out for God or anyone else for mercy. They try to shout him down, but Bartimaeus shouts out even more. Son of David, have mercy when Jesus stops and calls him, there's this interesting thing that takes place. He throws his cloak aside and springs up and goes to Jesus. And many commentators have made a big deal about throwing off the cloak. As far back as I can see in the 2nd century AD, they're making a big deal about flipping, taking off his cloak. And I don't understand it fully, but it seems as if his cloak is associated with his profession of begging. I've heard some say that they had their own cloaks that would distinguish them as beggars. Uh, I've also seen that it is the cloak that is the means by which they can receive their alms. They don't put their alms in a cup or something. They, 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 open, they put their cloak out and they put it on their cloak. But the commentators, especially in the ancient world, see, see, see this as what he is doing is he is already believing and he casts aside his cloak and goes to Jesus. And he's able to ask, or Jesus asks him the question, what is it that you want for me to do? Have you ever thought of that question? 
I mean, Jesus has asked it twice now. The disciples, and now to Bartimaeus. Like, if you really believe that Jesus, the Son of David, is the Messiah who has died on the cross for your sins, and you have relationship with God, and you have the opportunity to come before Him, and He asks you, what is it that you want me to do for you? That's a heavy question, isn't it? What do you want God to do for you? Well, the disciples answered a very, very childishly, didn't they? I want to be great. Give me my desire to be great in your kingdom. That's not what Bartimaeus asked. Bartimaeus, in contrast to the disciples, asks for something very good. I want to recover my sight. Kind of on a spiritual level, it should be a a request that we give also. I mean, unless we recognize from time to time that we're blind, that we don't see everything perfectly, you know, ask your spouse, (laughs) ask your kids. We, We don't always see, we don't always get it. And if you were to ask God, I'm sure he would let you know that you are blind from time to time, or at least a measure. Bartimaeus asked that he might recover his sight. The consequences of this answered prayer means he is giving up what he is used to. Bartimaeus has been on the the side of the road I don't know how long. He has been begging for his livelihood and he's been making it. The consequence of that answered prayer is going to change his life. One of the things that I believe that prevents us from asking, from crying out in desperation to God is that we're afraid of the consequences of answered prayer. What you'd like to do is tell God exactly how you'd want it to be, right? God, do this for me if I can still do this or that. God, I, I want to serve you as long as, you know what I'm saying? But the consequence to such answered prayer is going to be a changed life. You you can't continue on the way you've been going when God, by His mercy, hears and answers your plea. Bartimaeus tossed aside his cloak and he followed Jesus. This comes to my last point, point number three. The mercy of God is received by faith. The mercy of God is received by faith. It's not received by you doing things. It's it's not received by you making promises. It's received by faith. The Greek word that we find in the New Testament for faith is pistis. 
And, and what's really hard about that Greek word is we don't have necessarily an equivalent word. Pistis can mean belief. It means trust. But it also can mean means faithfulness or uh, loyalty, fealty. All in the same word. The word we translate faith means belief, it means trust, and it means faithfulness. When we receive faith, when God gives us faith to receive His grace and His mercy, the response that comes from faith are those things. Belief and trust and faithfulness. Belief and trust. How do you know someone is truly a believer? Well, how are they living their life? I can say that I believe in God, but if there's no fruit of that faith in me, it's kind of obvious I'm not really believing. We often try to talk about it between an intellectual belief and a heart belief. I like just using the Greek word pistis. Faith, faith believes and receives and responds. Bartimaeus had the same thing. He believed that Jesus was the Son of God before he even asked. And then he receives that mercy and responds with faithfulness. Grace is, is the ground and agency of salvation. Right? We're, we are saved by grace. Faith is always the means of how God's mercy and grace is received. I take no credit for being saved. Well, you might say, well, you have a lot of faith. Well, faith is passive. Faith is passive. I didn't do anything. God did. And I've received it. Faith believes, faith receives, and faith responds. And the response of God's mercy in your life, of His grace, is that you follow Him. See how easy that is? Is you follow Him. I would imagine in a congregation our size, we get, what, 400 or so? A little over 400 every Sunday? Pretty much. And growing. I would imagine there's quite a section of our congregation who comes here who are still on the roadside just kind of checking things out. I imagine there's quite a bit of you here who have been looking and kind of have some sort of knowledge of Jesus Christ but you're sitting on the roadside still waiting. And I don't know what voice it is that's shouting in your head telling you not to go forward. I don't know what kind of thing you need to cast aside to go up and follow Jesus. I don't know what it is. But you need faith and re to receive it. You, you need to respond. God is a merciful God. You are desperate without Him, and you need Him. Don't let the voices shout you down. Don't let whatever obstacle that's in your way, whether it's your sin, whether it's your worry, whether it's your fear, just cast it aside. 
And come meet Jesus. And come meet Jesus. He is good. He's already paid your punishment for you. He has already been preparing a place. Just come. Just come and receive him. If this is you, and you're in that spot right now, just say the prayer. Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And come and talk to one of us, to the elder, to the pastor. We'd love to pray for you, talk with you, tell you how to walk in the way of Jesus. But don't let your fear, don't let the things shouting you down prevent you. Come today. Let's pray. Father, we all acknowledge that we are born in sin and we are sinners. And it is only by your mercy that we have salvation. God, I pray for those who are sitting here who need your salvation. Those who are sitting on the sidelines who need to walk in your path, I pray, God, you'd call them today. I pray, Lord, that they would cast off any sin that's entangling them and come to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name for your glory and for their sake. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Ron, so much for bringing us that word. Now we turn to the table of mercy. And here we are reminded that anyone who comes to Christ and calls out for mercy, he turns no one away. All who come and cry to mercy, he extends it to you. And this is represented through this.